0: I didn't know you were doing anything with school.
1: Oh, really? I never told you that. Yeah, I got a, uh, <laughs> no. I got an associate's degree over the summer, and then I'm uh, pretty close to a bachelor's right now. Oh, cool. I've been just doing that. It's been a nice way to pass the time. To just you doing kind of, it online? Yeah.
0: What are you, uh, like, what are you doing it through?
1: Uh, through Southern New Hampshire University, the social psych degree. Cool. It's been fun. Oh, yeah. It's that's, a good excuse that's to your like, alley. Yeah, it's <laughs> been nice. There's a lot of stuff in there that I'm like, man, I've been thinking like this my whole life. Like, this is the kind of <laughs> shit I've been, I don't know, Just I didn't know they had names for a lot of this crap. Like, a lot of the stuff I've seen people do, and the stuff that I've done. <laughs> so it's nice. Interesting. Yeah. It's enjoyable. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We're all freaks. I was just telling Kate this morning that i'm I'm happy that we've gone in this direction where like we're not necessarily talking about the principles of psychology, yeah, <laughs> and it's sort of more like whatever concept comes up that feels like it probably affects a lot of people, like basically like concepts that we experience but haven't named yet. Let's name yeah. them and then and then just like talk about them. So and I'm really glad that it has gone like pretty far outside the realm of psychology. Because I think like quickly too took
1: us like three
0: episodes. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, Matt. What are some of the like names to things that would be like easy to explain? That would be like interesting for us to know. Like, is there some is is one of those like terms like something you just saw like everywhere and that everybody knows about it, but like you didn't know the name for it? Um, Or is it more nuanced stuff? It would kind
1: of just depend on the subject, but it's just stuff that's like different forms of like persuasion for example like the different channels of communication that you might use if you're trying to convince somebody of something there's so many things that was one that struck me recently that like there's so many things you see in commercials and a lot of political strategy and stuff where it's like oh my god there's a playbook for that like you mm-hmm. hear that colloquially like oh they're following this playbook or they're they're all they're all like the predecessors you know you hear things like that but when you actually read the playbook it's like oh my god like not only do I see this all the time, but I see why this works. It's worked huh. on me like yeah. recently, and it's just uh it's really kind of mind boggling when you start pulling on those threads so but there's yeah. just so it's... much of it, like there's so much to digest, mm-hmm. so it's been really fun to just go down those rabbit holes all the time, yeah, yeah,
0: I notice it especially with uh marketing stuff, because yeah. i I've been learning more about that over the past couple of years. Mm. honestly, quarantine has been a good time because it's kind of like. <laughs> There's, like not a lot of work to begin with, so you kind of have to like try harder to like figure it out. Yeah. But um, one of my friends has been in a marketing job, and like we started talking about it, and like she's like, she's like so over like the just the the weird kind of psychological manipulation that happens, and like things that are like se- like maybe semi scammy, but like when you see it all the time at your work, you're just like, this is not good. Yeah. <laughs> like the way, just. The way people are sold to and what people fall for and things like that. And it's, yeah, it really does come to psychology. And I think that's also an interesting concept of like, when you really think about it, a lot of our society is like driven by that, especially like, I think trends in like America, there's like this, like, there's this whole obsession with productivity yeah. and like, it's just so easy to market to that and like convince people that they need like X, Y, and Z thing to be more productive or like to make more money, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm a sucker for that. I mean, I don't even know if there's anything wrong with it inherently. Either it's just the awareness. You know, if you're being hoodwinked, that's where it becomes sort of problematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean
2: Well, there's there's two sides to it, I think, too. Like one is marketing productivity, meaning like marketing a way that you'll get things done faster than you currently are. Mm. and really that's kind of that's up to you like the speed at which you work is up to you mm. and then there's marketing efficiency and i think those are very two di- very different things because mm-hmm. i i tend to be a sucker for efficiency but i don't yeah. know that i don't know that i would believe uh that i would be more productive with a certain product maybe i would
0: yeah i think I there's know. like a lot of um like you get, it's like the whole like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink it thing. Yeah, exactly. And I, not even in a bad way. It's just like if you give a lot of type A information to a type B person, like they aren't <laughs> going to process it the yeah. same way. Yeah, that like happens to me a lot. Like I've, I've tried to like <laughs> explore the hustle mentality stuff, and I, I just <laughs> always have to tweak it. It's like never, I I can never just take what people are saying at face value, or I just burn out. It's weird.
1: It's kind of it ties in with um, I f- I cannot remember who the hell said this. It might have been Marx, but it was somebody in that ilk um, criticized capitalism by saying that like we didn't build a flawed system, we built a perfect one. Like we built a perfect economic system where we now have had a surplus for so long, but we have never actually considered what we were going to do with a surplus of everything. So things get squandered and you know put in the wrong corners and and kind of just not utilized properly. And I find that to be a really interesting part of the way productivity is marketed because in reality, we don't need to be producing much of anything in addition to what we're already producing. (laughs) It is an efficiency problem. You know, like if you were able to extract all of what we needed from what we already have, whether that's on a personal level with happiness and just money and, and getting through life, I think that is a slight tweak that can really change it from kind of a diminishing returns, very problematic culture to something where you're just getting what you need and you're fulfilling yourself.
2: Mm. It's
1: a really fine line.
0: I wonder if there's like a, like something I've thought about a lot is like how much of just general mental and emotional stress that people experience nowadays uh, just stems from a lot of that push from productivity and like I feel like I'm not one to say like that it comes from capitalism, but like there's such a trend toward wanting to advance everything, you know, like, like we need to advance technology. We need to advance this and that. And like, I think the, the, the slow and steady approach is kind of underrated. Yeah. And I always feel, and I guess this will kind of link into um, what I was planning on discussing today, because I feel like when you really go back to, almost how our bodies were evolved and like what pace we would be normally used to. Mm. I wonder if there's just this expectation of things to be like so fast now that it's almost like just physically our evolution isn't quite keeping up. You know what I mean? Mm. I don't know if it's that though. It could also be said that there's plenty of methods and strategies to adapt to the current climate and like, You know, the the emergence of so much, you know, technology and just like the busyness of everything. That's another way I try. I try to look at it from that lens of like, even though there's a lot more, uh, I guess the the world is kind of going in a type A direction. I think from those advancements have come a lot of findings on, you know, mental health and psychology that help us perform at a higher level and kind of like meet it where it's at. Mm rather than like feeling like it's too much. But it does kind of push this constant desire for self-development almost to just keep up with everything.
1: See, I've kind of always subscribed to the idea that it's actually the other way around. Like we can't keep up with our evolution because we've like forever, like since the birth of humanity, it seems like we've had this drive to just... Like have you ever read any of that stuff where they say like early man was... Basically on par with Olympic athletes today. Like just given the amount that uh-huh. they would have to walk to like forage and hunt for food, mm. they would walk some absurd amount of miles a day. You know, it was extremely physical. People died relatively young. Like again, it kind of ties back to the surplus thing. Like now we we live until we're a hundred. We can buy our food prepackaged and store our food for the week we can basically, like, for the most part, I mean, within reason, because obviously, you know, there's all sorts of inequities and things throughout society that make this untrue and in, in different social ways, but our needs are met compared to those of our ancestors. So mm-hmm. I've, I've always looked at it like we have this surplus of energy and intellect and just that ambition, you know, that desire that makes us, like, peel back that curtain a little bit further every generation, and we have to, every morning, wake up and figure out what the hell to do with it. Right. And it's just a lot. I mean, it's gotten us from hunting with with spears to having satellites.
0: And there's a little fragment of that in all of us. That's almost part of the problem too, I think, though, because the concept of like the body and the mind being kind of interlinked, I think what I've been finding is the more I'm doing healthy things for myself, it usually has to, it's usually more in the direction of, what humans would be doing in the past so like exactly like you said walking more you know like exercising and it's like almost like the technology side has definitely given us a lot of comforts and speed and how we do things but then I think it also distances us from our body and the things that we need and I think that leads to we we almost get weakened by the fact that things are given to us so easily and we're not connecting with what our evolution would be like our evolution would be like you're designed to walk this many miles to hunt and this is kind of like how you're used to functioning and now you're being used to function on you know just like there's a lot less you need to do to live but then that means you're not meeting your needs like physically uh sometimes Mm.
1: and it's tough too because i don't think we're necessarily obligated to live like our uh you know, cave people ancestors, because it's, right. it's just unrealistic to think that, like, I've always found that funny when I've heard people use the evolution argument to defend all sorts of things, like toxic max- masculinity and stuff like that. And it's always like, <laughs> well, this is in our in our wiring. We can't help it. And it's like, they're always having these discussions on, like, podcasts or in cars, you know, in thoroughly postmodern things that you can't use the excuse of, like, we're basically still cavemen, and talk into something digital you know like it doesn't <laughs> make fucking sense right. yeah but i think there is a middle ground where you can kind of have respect for the fact that like like in in this case um we don't necessarily need to honor those roots by walking 60 miles a day and and killing elephants but we should kind of understand that like we have this drive so what's another way we can like address it and that's mm-hmm. what i i agree with what you're saying like we're not necessarily fully respecting that connection between the mind and the body because I think that's where if people looked at that that ache or that feeling that like I got to do something I got to keep going and going and going looked at it as like all right this is a healthy part of my humanity how do I want to specifically turn this on versus feeling like it's an illness or something you need to medicate or it's makes you a freak or something you know it's like try to explore that
2: It's interesting when talking about like meeting the needs of the body because that's another thing that I feel that I'm kind of bad at in that I don't know what they are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's one of the it's one of those things where like is there an objective answer? you know what are the needs of the body aside from proper nutrition, proper amounts of hydration and proper amounts of sleep? And those three things are what I know to do to not make myself anxious. Mm. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm going to be more anxious and more hypochondriacal if I don't eat right and if I don't get enough sleep and if I don't make sure that I'm hydrated. But aside from that, I'm like, I know kind of what to, and Owen, oh, we were talking a couple weeks back about like the disconnect between mind and body and sort of dissociating from what the body manifests as concerns. So, you know, there are times when I'll be regularly going for hikes or nature walks, whatever. It will feel like this is good because it's exercise. I need to do it for my body, but it feels more enriching to my mind than to my body. So it just kind of calls into question, like, objectively, there probably is a scientific guideline for what we need to do in order for our bodies to be in not even peak condition, but good condition um, in order for our bodies to function the way that they're supposed to and also in order for our mind to not manifest concerns about our body's state of health
0: right it's one of those things i think there's subjectivity and objectivity yeah. one th- one resource that i was thinking about a lot that pertains to this discussion one way like i feel like with these discussions like i never learn all of it from one source like no one has the answers to everything and right. it's it's going to depend like what you personally click with for instance, like with uh, fitness, um, I was recommended this book called "The Happy Body" by um, Jersey and Analia Gregoric. Mm. That body is really interesting because they actually kind of set it up that way. Whereas, like, like we've helped people train for Olympics and stuff like that, and we've come up with a system of like what is like a standard of strength, a standard of flexibility, a standard of you know, speed and posture and all these different variables. And they basically kind of worked backwards and designed like an at-home kind of prehab workout program that I've done quite a bit. And I think it's one of the most helpful things I've done for fitness. Not even because it had that, those measuring variables, but I think it's just because it was so holistic. Because I feel like a lot of people just like to lift heavy weights or it's like cool or something. Yeah. But there's... um. Some of my background has taught me that there's a lot more nuance to that. Like I um, kind of started tapping into like kind of getting more sensitive to my body through when I was doing vocal training. I had grown up as like a multi-instrumentalist. So I was learning these instruments that were kind of using more of my extremities, I guess. But then singing is like very internal and it's also very psychological. Like if you're not thinking in the right way, and your are not your body isn't kind of operating. There's just like so much things you have to be sensitive to within yourself rather than like outside of you. So I used to really struggle with that, and I wanted to learn to sing, and I just kind of went down this rabbit hole of like I found a couple teachers that finally kind of like really addressed what I needed to learn to like get my technique right and stuff like that. Yeah. But then it branched off into this whole other thing of like I started. Cause they kind of also mentored me in like a holistic sort of way because that was all like helping the singing, singing aspect. Like, Cause it wasn't just about like explaining the technique to me. It's about like, we're also going to teach you how to take care of your voice and like things like that. And, um, that was a skill for me that forced me to finally become more sensitive to my body and learn what my body needed and learn to pick up on the subtle signals of that and Also, I think a lot of what I learned from that is to not just take common advice at face value, because like if you Googled about like diet and exercise and like just started that simple, you're just going to get like a lot of generic like these are good workouts or like Mm. do this to lose weight. And it's just like not it's not teaching you how to learn to listen to your body and learn what you need as an individual. Because that's something Mm. I learned from vocal training, too, is that you can't teach every singer the same way. You're literally kind of like reverse engineering, like, what is this person's vocal habits to begin with? And I have to take them from whatever random point A they were at and bring them into balanced singing and reliable performance and stuff like that. So I guess it was like an athletic thing for me, but athletic in a way where it's like a music things as well. So it's like, I couldn't just brute force it. Or you just like it, if you just sing brute force without having the nuance to it, it's just like, you're just going to sound like you're yelling. You know what I mean? So uh, it it reminds me a lot of like how, how yoga is like very nuanced and Mm -hmm. teaches people a lot of, it fills those cracks that like maybe conventional lifting weights wouldn't address as easily. So
1: I like that too, because we live in that nuance. I mean, singing and yoga are great examples because they make you slow it down and they make you kind of zoom in. But it's always struck me as kind of funny how we speak about these things as if they're separate, like the mind and the body, like as if we have a choice, which horse we're going to bet on. It's like, (laughs) we're that we are the whole thing. We are right. Our mind is part of our body. And our body kind of might be part of our mind. Like, it's all sort of rolled into the same thing. So it's it's always kind of funny that, like, I think we do have a little bit of a choice as to which one we support at any given moment. Just cause, I mean, you can definitely make decisions based on something that you've contrived that will impact you in a physical way. But, like, there should be more of an emphasis on sort of figuring out where that connection is. And it's probably very individualized. But, you know, because we don't have a choice. It's as much as, like, my body has let me down perpetually since my earliest youth, but it's just... This is what I have until, I don't know, until I don't. So my mind has to be able to support it because it sure as shit can't support my mind.
0: I've found more luck going the other way. I usually use my body to ground my mental habits, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like if I try to address it directly with the mind, which I still do, but there's been situations where... I just get in my head and I'm trying to solve thought problems by thinking more and things mm. like that. Because I think also this is one thing I sort of overlooked for a while and then started uh, learning about through these like vocal coaches and mentors to me was they would mention the nervous system. And that gets interesting because that's kind of like a connector of the body and the mind. like The way you think and the way you physically move both influence the nervous system, you know? Mm. So it's like, there's like a connection there. And so either, like a problem in either area can, you know, do stuff to the nervous system. And then the problem goes right to the other one. So like, if there's an an imbalance in the body, it will probably make you feel, you know, stressed, which makes you feel emotionally not great. And then leads to thoughts that might not be serving you. Mm. And then the In the same light, say you're hanging around the wrong people and you're just getting a lot of thought patterns that aren't unhealthy. That may lead you to, for instance, like starting to eat foods that aren't as healthy for you. And then that's getting into your body and kind of, you know, so it's going from mental to physical. I I think it can go either way. And so that's why it's so – I'm very much a fan of looking at things holistically because you never know – I'm like a big advocate of looking for the root cause, but I think you don't always know where that is because it's almost like you can't teach yourself what you don't know. So I try to advocate for people to just try a lot of different stuff and just find what clicks for you, but like keep open-minded to like multiple different arenas of where the solution might lie.
2: Yeah. I will say this, that becomes a bit more of a necessity um, the older you get. Yeah. Yes. For me, it was around the time that I turned 30. And I was noticing that like sleep and nutrition were becoming ever more essential to just like my functionality as a working human. And I guess not everybody is like this. Like, I know people my age who don't sleep and older who don't sleep and who don't eat right and seem to function fine. So something might be wrong with me. I don't know. (laughs) But. There is a threshold at which I cease to function <laughs> like well, and I lose all cognitive ability and I can't remember shit and once I get like a decent night's sleep and make sure that I'm eating right, it's pretty much fine like I, I go mm-hmm. right back to normal mm-hmm. yeah so there are a lot of variables is what I'm saying, yeah. and the older you get, the more variables are introduced and so you kind of always have to be searching for balance and Kind of what sort of unhealthy habits from your younger years do you then need to throw away? Um, for instance, you can't live on fast food five nights a week or you can't uh, you have to learn how not to get injured. <laughs> that was kind of a big thing for me. Um I started getting some like permanent injuries, and I'm like, "Why aren't I healing?" And the doctor's <laughs> like, "Cause you're not 18 anymore." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh man, okay, all right. I gotta learn how to use my body correctly, um, so that I don't throw my back out, or so that I don't like pop my knee out of place." So there's just it's a continuous. Um, I'm not saying getting old is all that bad. I'm actually I'm actually enjoying it, but uh, there is a continuous learning curve mm. and a continuous trend of adaptation that you have to keep in mind just to keep yourself still able to do the things that you want to do yeah and able to live and function and and think the way that you want to. So and a lot of that unfortunately too is is making the the time and space for it. And that's kind of what I'm still bad at is you know, I, I know certain habits that I that are necessary for upkeep take time out of the day you know i should go for a daily walk or i should make sure that i meditate or do yoga or whatever but i never do those things because it takes time (laughs) um and i'm already like pretty strapped for time so i don't know but that those like those elements of of self-care you know just uh they're always changing and they're always it always necessitates a holistic view Mm of what self-care is because you always have to be searching for what's the next thing. And then if you can get ahead of the next thing, that's even better. So like it almost becomes a hobby.
0: (laughs) It's interesting. You bring up the time thing because I've noticed that same issue. Sometimes it's like, like self care is great but it can also turn into like a, a bit of a uh Indulgence. almost like a like a security blanket in a okay, way of yeah. like i almost like run to self care thinking it's going to fix something when really it's almost like it's just wanting to be a little bit too comfortable or something like that but then also to me that relates to what you said about time because i think one of the biggest tr- struggles with that is like this idea that self-care has to take a lot of time. And one thing I've tried to work on is like to look for ways, because I I choose to be a busy person a lot. I I like to have a lot of things on my plate. It keeps it exciting for me. But then it means like the self-care stuff has to be kind of compressed into this minimalist thing of like, what am I just going to prioritize today? Like maybe I can't meditate this day. Or maybe I don't have, you know, as much time to exercise this day as I would like to, but it's sort of like this dance of like trying to figure out how much is enough without getting compulsive with it. Cause they I go through different phases where I'm like I'm so into it and like all I want to do is like, you know, do things that make my body feel nice. And then I have other phases where I'm so wrapped up in kind of what my mind is reaching for, maybe like what is reaching for spiritually, then it completely distracts me from the body. and I don't know if that's at all related to dissociation because when people explain that, I don't think I have the the symptoms that it's like described as yeah. but I can understand there's like this phenomenon in life of like sometimes you feel like you're too much in your mind. And um, it especially gets complicated when that feeling stuck in your mind has something to do with trauma, because like the sensations of trauma are a very physical thing. And sometimes we're not, we may not feel emotionally ready to just sit there with it. And that's something I try to practice and tell people to at least try, even if it's just only doing it for a few minutes, just give yourself short check-ins throughout the day. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, a 10-minute a meditation where, like, you have to, you know, be patient for 10 minutes and, like, not even let your mind do anything. But take a minute to just kind of sit there and just notice what your body's feeling. So yeah. that's kind of how I approach it. For me, just kind of being, I guess, overthinking. Like, that's a strategy that would help me for that. But I'm not sure how... it maybe gets more difficult when it's also a situation of like, like what's the deal with when people have been through a lot of trauma and they haven't fully processed that yet. I mm-hmm. feel like it it it's hard to sit with those feelings in the body because for some people that may be too much. It just may just not be intuitive to them. Or it's like, I hear the same thing with I've heard friends who have like ADHD or like it's so hard for me to meditate, you know, like if you don't have that, it might be something you take for granted as like, Oh, it's simple. I just sit down and I just do that. But then when there's other mental health challenges on top, I think it's even harder to connect to the body. So I'm kind of curious about if either of you have ever experienced a situation like that, where it's like, you know, I guess, how, how do you get that link of almost finding the courage to face your own sensations, whether that's emotions or just physical sensations. Mm.
2: Well, I like this um, analogy about self-care being a security blanket sometimes. Mm. And also that leads into self-care being a type of dissociation, which is a weird thing to think about. But like for me, I do think that in my past that's been the case. Because going back to this example of diet and nutrition and, and whatever... My body loves to play tricks on me, and I've been pretty vocal on this show about my history of panic disorder and hypochondria. And, oh, and you and I were talking the other day about um, kind of dissociating from the body in order to ease the mind. And for me, during my most anxious times, self, the, what self-care looks like is not drinking, is avoiding red meat. Is avoiding things that I perceive as unhealthy. And that, like, if my mind perceives them as unhealthy and it manifests as hypochondria or it manifests as I think I'm having a heart attack or I think like I've been polluting my body with some kind of toxin and now I'm paying the price for that, you know? So, in that sense, avoiding having a panic attack, yeah, that's self care. Do whatever you have to do. To not put yourself in that place, but also in that sense, that's body avoidance, you know, that kind of not explicitly, but that might train you to start avoiding the cues that your body gives you to feel concerned about something. And this is what we were talking about. Like, I, I feel that I maybe I even fear that I have trained my mind to ignore some of those cues that come from my body. Because they've caused me almost nothing but discomfort and uh, and panic and like a lack of functionality. So, in my case specifically, I don't know that this works for many other people, but in my case specifically, I just sort of take an audit of okay, when have I been concerned about this certain ailment or a certain event happening within my body, such as a heart attack or something like that. Like How many times have I worried that that's the case and it hasn't been the case? And it's 100% of the time. And so like, mm. if you take an audit of how many times have I just had hypochondria and nothing's actually been wrong with me at all, and the percentage is that high, then you have to acknowledge that your body's been crying wolf for a long time. And I think that's really how you get back into that uh, space where you can trust the decisions that you make to not affect your body negatively but that doesn't necessarily get you back to the place where your mind and your body can be in sync because i think this is what i'm worried about uh, recently is that maybe i've trained my mind and body to not be in sync because i'm afraid that they don't communicate well and they only inspire panic in me when they do communicate
0: yeah
1: but you also you're aware of it too which has to count for something you know like just by virtue of the fact that you're able to have this discussion as intelligently as you are you know where they intersect so maybe it's <laughs> an issue of looking for this kind of perfect synergy when in reality they just communicate better through an intermediary
2: that's which a is good point unfortunately you that, <laughs> in this case like yeah that's a good point but like then the question is is it Okay, only to process things intellectually, which is what I do. You know, very rarely does my body give me like real physical cues uh, uh, telling me that I'm in perceived danger or in perceived, you know.
0: Yeah, that's interesting mm -hmm. because I've heard of like one person I know has like made a quick video about PTSD and basically described it as like bad instincts. Mm. And that was interesting to me because in my sort of journey of like connecting my body and my mind it has a lot to do with intuition and listening to that. But then that kind of got me thinking of like, you know, what if your intuition keeps being wrong, you know? And mm-hmm. so um, there's almost a big lack of information on even how to interpret the signals in your body properly. And I think that can lead to some people feeling like, I can't trust my body because my body is literally giving me signals that aren't true, you know? Yeah. So I agree with you that I think there's absolutely a time and the place to, to only process it intellectually, to kind of have a one up and kind of almost like the, I feel like the mind can have that sort of, uh, I don't know, like frontal lobe consciousness to just be like, Hey, this is what's going on. Like, I know it feels stressful, but like, Luckily, there's this one little part of your brain that's using some reason to like work through it. Mm-hmm. But then that that also makes me wonder, like, in, in terms of like the development of more approaches to therapy, I would think a good goal would be for people to sort of uh, examine, like, how would that connection be trained to kind of like link back together more into like a situation where you can trust your intuition but then like Mm -hmm. like who knows how long it can take to process and like therapy is such a gradual process so it's not like uh it's it's silly to think that you can have a perfect mind-body relationship overnight but like some of what i've learned has had to do with listening to the emotions as sensations in the body and sort of like processing it that way but then like when those sensations are not telling the truth, you know, like that is a that is an interesting challenge that I think I th- is probably be being researched a lot now, but maybe just not as popularized yet.
2: Well, yeah, I, I mean, we talked in our self therapy episode about CBT and how the core tenet of it is that it's about challenging irrational behaviors and irrational thought patterns and stuff like that. And I don't know that this would count under the umbrella of CBT, but challenging instincts, if they're bad instincts, or if they're different from the instincts that you should have, it's probably similar therapy to that, or there probably is a school of therapy that's that's similar to cognitive behavioral therapy in that way. But, you know, and I'll say this too, like, as far as bad instincts go, that's where you can look at your experience, and take an audit of what your experience has been. Because when you're, I'll give my own example, like when you're 15 and you're having panic attacks all the time, you are someone who has panic attacks all the time. Five years later, if that's still happening, you are someone who has had panic attacks regularly for five years, who has never actually suffered anything physical as a result of them. Mm. So if you can look at it that way and remove yourself from the experience, Of what is currently happening, and look at the experience of what has happened, then you're looking at a hundred instances where your instincts have been wrong. And as far as self self therapy goes, like that's where you would need to take a look at your thought patterns and say, "Well, I've been wrong every single time. I've thought I'm having a heart attack, or I'm I've thought that I have cancer, or I've thought that you know I'm going to die some way." So that's a way to kind of bring a little bit more comfort into that. I don't know that I would prescribe that advice to someone with actual (laughs) PTSD. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
2: They probably need a little bit more guidance than that. I'm not sure. I'm not well-schooled in that. But I imagine it would be somewhat the same. But also, there's something... um, Do you know about polyvagal theory at all, Owen?
0: No, I think you mentioned it once, but I don't remember. Okay.
2: Okay. So, trauma responses are processed through something called the vagus nerve. And it's basically what connects mental stimuli to physical reaction. And so, if your physical reaction to a certain stimuli was one way um, at the inception of trauma, then new sensory stimuli will be processed by the same physical reaction, like a fight or flight reaction or something like that, um, if they are similar enough. To the inception. So I think that in terms of PTSD, that's something, and that's a very mind-body connection thing too. Like there's almost a, it's almost linked in a, in a similar way, but in a more detrimental way, you know, where you'd have to, pro, you'd have to train your mind to process those sensory stimuli differently so that your body does not react physically in a, um in a panicked way in a fight or flight way, something like that, so I think that I don't really know for sure, but I think that when patients are being treated for PTSD it's probably a lot more about sensory stimuli externally
0: mm, right
2: and responding to them internally differently, and kind of what I'm talking about is all internal, you know yeah. Can we throw out a disclaimer real quick? Yeah. Cuz like I I do not want to we're not trying to speak directly to anybody suffering from PTSD. You should consult a therapist if you're if yeah. you're concerned at all and you want treatment. Like we're um it I I worry that it's been sounding like we're kind of trying to throw out some some advice and uh and we're just discussing concepts. So sometimes it's a little more black market. <laughs> <therapy>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think sometimes around just in terms of the, like for lack of a better term, like the, the self-helpy side of this type of thing, there can be a tendency to over pathologize. Mm, yeah. And I think that's a really dangerous, I, th- I think that's to me equally dangerous to trusting the wrong instincts, you know? But both of these issues come down to the fact that you're removing agency from yourself. And that's, agency I think is the wrench you can always throw in to these wheels when they start spinning too fast it's the same thing like descartes did it for figuring out existence you know it's just at a certain point you have to throw in i think therefore i am like you have to end this line of questioning yeah right and just trust that there is something else and you know just stop the fucking motion for a minute and i look at it that way sometimes where like it's twofold like on one Mm -hmm. hand you almost have to trust that you've caught your instincts, that you can be aware of things and just have a little bit of faith in that logic, a little bit of faith in the correlation is not causation side of your brain. You know, Like like you mentioned, Joel, the idea that if you've been having panic attacks consistently for five straight years and none of them have ever been traced back to the physical ailment you're afraid of, then just put it down on paper and know like there's a part of this that makes sense. I don't trust it right now, but that's a separate issue. Yeah, And go after that issue. And then on the other side, don't feel broken because you're having these reactions. Because even something like dissociation, which is alarming by any standard, it's shock. I mean, it's it serves a valid purpose. It's the same way you would go into shock if you got into a physical accident and you looked down and saw your leg pointing another direction or something. Mm-hmm. And you didn't feel it. It's like, don't worry, you will. It'll come back. <laughs> um, it, this is serving a purpose right now, as freaky as it is. I think there are so many things that happen mentally or even just happen spiritually when you're in some kind of crappy dire straits that are serving a purpose or are at least being deployed with the right idea in mind. And then you, when you become aware of them, can choose, is this tool the right tool or do I want to try to like put this one back on the shelf and take out another thing? And that agency is always, at least for me, the agency is always key and it gives you that... It lets you plug in whatever part of your mind is your best ally and is your best knee-jerk. Like if you want to intellectualize things because that's where you are comfortable dealing with these things, then yeah, do it. Get it back onto your home turf and fight it there. Don't feel like a fuck-up because that's where you go and it doesn't feel like the most useful. And it's the same for if your knee-jerk is to just go on a run immediately because you just deal with things better when when it's physical than do it and you know it'll come around when you've let that out of your system and it's the same with something like meditating like like oh and how you mentioned someone with adhd feeling stressed out that they can't meditate it's like maybe the idea of of sitting cross-legged for 45 minutes isn't the right kind of meditation you know maybe it's cleaning the house it's so to me it's just bring that agency in and look at things a little bit between the lines like if someone like again meditation if somebody is meditating What's happening to their mind while they do it? What are they doing it for? What happens to their mind after they finish doing it? And find corollaries in your own life that can make you feel those things in a way that
2: is is going to bring you the same benefits. Now that's a really good point, Matt, because I find that when I sit down to meditate, and I haven't been diagnosed with ADHD, but it's hard for me to stop the internal monologue. It's re- I mean, it's hard mm-hmm. for everybody, but I've put a bit of work into it. Sometimes I'm successful, sometimes I'm not. But you know when I come up with the best songs when I'm not idle.
0: Yeah. You know, when
2: I'm cleaning or when I'm like remember when I when I worked at a at a grocery store and I was rotating milk, you know, for a mm. couple hours at a time, I would come up with sick melodies and, yeah. and, and okay lyrics for a 20-year-old. And like I was pretty <laughs> happy with that. And yeah. if I'm out hiking and I'm just moving my body and doing something I guess, repetitive, you know, just taking steps mm-hmm. and really in the moment with a task or just in the moment feeling the effects of nature, and they're not ill effects, and and I just kind of feel at peace, you know, that's when good lines come to me. That's when I start subconsciously manifesting art in my mind. Yeah. It like fills the negative space. And I think that has always been a more successful form of meditation for me, as just when I'm doing a task, when I'm not idle, and when I'm not trying to force my mind to do something that it doesn't want to do naturally, but I'm just yeah. sort of putting it at peace.
1: Yeah, because you can always ask yourself, and I think actually it is surprising to do this sometimes, like to literally do this, but when you're in those situations where you feel like that's wrong, like you feel like whatever task your heart is pulling you toward is wrong, just ask yourself why like say like why is this specific thing wrong and make yourself prove it (laughs) like literally just with your actual words make yourself prove it yeah and it half the time it it you can't like it makes no sense or you tie it back to some construct that you've come up with socially over the course of your life that isn't necessarily well informed it's just what the guy next to you who seemed like he had his shit together chooses to do when he's in this position and then you realize oh i never uh gave two shits about this and you, you move on or you realize, no, I am wrong and here's why. And at least then you're fighting the right thing. So it's like, again, by hitting it head on like that, if you're in the headspace to do so, I think you, you bring that power back to yourself and that's everything when things start to snowball like this, because there is, there are no rules, there's no right way to handle it. There's no guide who knows what they're doing Mm -hmm. more than anyone else. There's just anecdotes Mm -hmm. and you just got to pick and choose and slap them all together the way that makes sense and ask for help when you feel like you need to ask for help and, but, you know, stay in the driver's seat.
0: Yeah. I, I feel that so much. It's like a, uh, like one of the big things I learned was like, do not feel like you have to fix everything or that, or that like every mental quirk is like a problem. Like that's completely Mm -hmm. not true now. However you were designed, if you're kind of following what you naturally want and what you naturally kind of are magnetically drawn toward in life, like that's probably going to be the best thing for you versus trying to force yourself into what someone else thought would be more, you know, mentally healthy. Like usually most of the times, what's most mentally healthy for you is kind of like what you're naturally going to be searching for in your own, like just kind of following your own agency, I said, as you said. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of that. Like one thing I was thinking about, for this discussion is there, there was like this real old podcast. I think it was actually on Friday night folk. Uh, I remember Brian Huntress said a quote, like doing what you want in a healthy way. And I feel like that has been such a pillar for how I look at things because when I first started trying to, um, address my mental health, which ultimately ended up kind of being more situational than anything. Like I, my discovery was that there wasn't, like, anything wrong with my brain or whatever. Mm -hmm. It was just, like, I had started to think that, and, like, even, like, other people would think that. But in the end, like, the more I just aligned my life to what I wanted and kind of, like, what seemed right, like, I just got more and more kind of balanced that way. So I think that really backs up your points about, like, there's all these different strategies and methods and things like that, but at the end of the day, who who knows what's going to work for each person? It's like so individual. So each person is on their own path of self discovery, and um, I think the more we can all kind of feel comfortable with that and not feeling like our path is the wrong path, like just like letting whatever whatever direction we we need to find ourselves in to kind of baby step ourselves to the not even like necessarily self-improve but just you know keep going you know uh whatever keeps you going and it's just like i feel like i'm i'm just kind of sounding very (laughs) cliche and trite now but like (laughs) i guess that the overall point here is like not every method works for every person so go explore and try stuff and just see what works, you know, kind of guess and check, basically. Yeah, it's
1: the, it's the only thing we've ever been able to trust, it seems like, as a species. It's like we just can't stop poking stuff with that stick. You know, we just always need to be, like, pushing it a tiny bit further. And, I mean, yeah, it seems natural that we'd be doing that with ourselves and that things would be entirely subjective. And Because, it's again, we've covered this in so many different episodes, <laughs> but just the fact that, like, we are studying this with the instrument
2: that we're trying to to polish, you know? Yeah. Like have you ever heard the like, quote uh what you're looking for is what you're looking with? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but
1: that's like that's part of this to me that that makes it all the more intriguing, but also you you really need to take it with a grain of salt because if you were getting any other information this way, like if you were trying to submit this query to a scholarly source if it weren't you know yourself it would get rejected like there's bias all over the place nothing's vetted we're informing ourselves of shit and then validating those opinions and then looking for information based on those validations it's it's just an idiotic way to form a worldview so it's kind of like but at the same time it can be fun and it can be useful and it can connect you to other people and make you look inward so at the end of the day the only thing we can say for certain is that we're curious and in lieu of anything else, trust that.
0: Yeah.
2: And it'll at least be fun. And that's our show. As always, Black Market Therapy is a Dead & Mellow production, and to stay in touch with us, you can follow Black Market Therapy and Dead & Mellow Records on social media. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send an email to blackmarkettherapypodcast at gmail.com. This episode was scored using two of Owen Korzyk's unreleased songs, which are called Change and Waiting in Line for Myself. You can hear more from him at owencorzik.com, or subscribe to his Patreon for early access to music releases. We'll be back next week for part two of this topic, and we'll talk a little more about the connection between mind and body with our friend Joe Folan. Until then.